in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These are the stories of the Word becoming flesh, of God entering into our world. The stories of the men and the women who beheld the birth of a fragile human life. Born into a world of injustice, oppression, corruption, violence, and confusion. But the birth of a king who would cause shepherds, family, followers, and kings alike to confess. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Well, good morning. Once again, Grace Commons. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the incredible privilege of kicking off our Advent series this morning. Every year we come to this time of year and we set aside these four Sundays leading up to Christmas to remind ourselves of what Christmas is really all about. Uh, and during this season, we really want to just prepare our hearts uh, for what it means that this Messiah has come. This is an event, an advent that happened over 2,000 years ago, but still carries incredible implications for our life and our faith today. In a moment, we are going to light our first advent candle. And uh, once again, if you want to join us at home, please have your candle and lighter nearby. Um, I would just begin by saying this. If ever there was a year that we need advent, it's this year. 2020 has been an absolute mess. Everything has seemed inside out and upside down. Can you imagine if someone told you at the beginning of Advent last year what our world would look like at Advent this year? I doubt many of us would have believed uh, what they would have told us if someone could have explained everything that was coming. Everything seems backwards. And that's why we need Advent. That's why we need to remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Christ. In the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our confusion, we remember that Jesus came. And because he came, we have incredible hope. In Isaiah chapter 64, the prophet Isaiah cried out and said this, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down to make your name known. And so with the prophet of Isaiah, we cry out in our hearts this morning that God would once again tear through the mess in our world today. That he would once again come down and visit with us and remind us that we are his people, that we are a people of hope. And so today we light the candle of hope. And this candle reminds us that because Jesus came, you and I have an incredible amount of hope that was made possible through his coming, through his advent. So let's light our candle together today.
Father, we come to this moment. And we ask, Lord, that you would be here with us now. Even as we light this candle to remind us of the hope that we have in you. Lord, I pray that this morning as we are gathered here together online across our area, across the world, that you would cause the hope of the gospel to stir afresh in our hearts today. For my brothers and sisters who are carrying heavy burdens, who are feeling despair and discouragement, Lord, I pray that this morning that you would breathe your hope into our hearts. That no matter what burden we walked in here with on, on our shoulders or, or we powered up our computers to tune in to the live stream, Lord, we know that the burdens we carry matter to you. And this morning we give them to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would infuse us, that you would fill us with your hope afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a, a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 1. So if you have a Bible and you want to open it up or, or power it up, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read the first 17 verses together this morning. But uh, as you're getting there, um, you know, this text is really about the family line of Jesus. It's about the Messiah's lineage that shows the fulfillment of everything that happened before until he came. And, and so as we think about uh, our Savior's family line, uh, probably many of us are, are, are a little bit sad this year. We didn't get to spend Thanksgiving with uh, much of our family as we normally would. Family matters. Family's important. Uh, our families aren't always easy, right? But, but they matter, and we know that. Some of you may have had the chance to gather with some family. Uh, my brother is actually uh, in town visiting, and it was really a, a great week we've been spending with him and his family. And one of the things I've learned is uh, when it comes to brothers, a few things never change. Brothers will always prank one another, and there will always be a spirit of competition. I mean, we've been involved in competition this week from, from laser tag to playing horse basketball um, to uh, bowling to whatever it might be. You know, we're always looking for ways to compete. And, and I, I just wanted to share this story with you because I was very proud of myself. Uh, a, a number of years ago, my brother visited us and he was borrowing my car. And him and his wife went to a movie theater. And while they were in the movie theater, someone broke into our car and stole. This was back in the day. I'm going to date this story. When, you know, you had these CD players in your car. And someone had ripped out, you know, our, our Pioneer CD player and stolen it and just shattered the window. And I'll never forget how upset my brother was that he had come to visit. He borrowed our car and then the CD player was stolen. And so uh, on Friday, we were celebrating my son's birthday party. And, and once again, he was borrowing my truck and we were all in my wife's car. And so uh, we came out of uh, the celebration first, and I had the idea to move my truck so my brother would think it was stolen. And so we moved, I got in the truck, and I moved it way across the parking lot, hit it behind a huge, uh, another huge car, and we all sat, my, my son Sam and a couple of his friends were sitting in the car watching them come out and watching their faces where they're trying to find where is uh, the truck, and it was just a priceless moment until they finally saw it. Uh, but we've got some really good video footage if you're interested in that. Um, but, you know, families are strange. Strange things delight us. And we're going to see in this text this morning that Jesus actually came from a pretty bizarre family line. And that matters. That's going to make a difference for us as we try to understand. Matthew begins his account of the gospel with this simple phrase, this is the genealogy of Jesus. And I know that right now at home, you're sitting on the edge of your couch. You're leaning in. You're excited. We are about to read a very long list of names. 
And I can tell you're, you're thrilled. Okay, and if we're honest, we get to parts like this in the Bible, and if no one's watching us, we sometimes will just skip over the genealogies. We'll, we'll not read the list of names, because really, what difference does it make to us today? Right? There's this long list of names, but I believe that Matthew began his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus for a reason. And if he began it with a reason, I think it would do us good to spend some time working and try to figure out why. Why would Matthew start his whole treaty on the life of Christ with a list of names, with this genealogy of Jesus? Uh, and before we read it, I want to just tell you that word genealogy in most of our versions is sometimes translated as the word Genesis. So maybe Matthew is trying to tell us this is the genesis of Jesus. This is the beginning. This is the start of his origin, at least from the perspective of his human lineage. Uh, but maybe even more intriguingly, um, some recent scholarship uh, has suggested uh, that this is the book of Genesis uh, the book of the Messiah, a new beginning. Genesis is the beginning of something. And, and our, our Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, begins with a book called Genesis, the beginning where God speaks and, and creation comes forth. And then, as we know, sin entered the world and, and marred everything from human lives and, uh, to uh, difficulty uh, bearing crops. Uh, sin stained our planet. And, and Matthew's almost saying, hey, this is a new Genesis. This is a turning point in the history of God's involvement in the world. This is, is a climatic moment where things are about to change. This is the story of Jesus. This is his genesis, his origin, his beginning. Maybe he's saying this is the beginning of when Jesus will make right everything that's wrong with our broken, bruised, groaning creation that we first saw come about in Genesis chapter 1. Now in this new book of Genesis, this new beginning, this genealogy of Jesus, he's here to show us that when Jesus shows up, everything begins to change. So we're going to take a few moments this morning and, and read this genealogy together and, and try to see if we can gain some insight into why Matthew would start his account of the life of Christ with a long list of names. Why start in this peculiar way? I'm so glad you asked. Let's, let's read it together and then we'll, we'll, we'll piece it out. So Matthew chapter 1, get ready. This is the genealogy, the genesis of Jesus who is the Messiah. That is our Advent series. We're calling it simply Messiah. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Ah, ah, I don't know how to say that name. I'm just going to go with it. 
Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. It's one of my favorite names in the Old Testament. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. How much fun are you having right now? Okay, let's keep this going. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. And Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of their exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. Abihud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliahud. Eliahud was the father of Eliziar. Eliziar was the father of Mathen. Mathen was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. All right. The fulfillment. Maybe Matthew began his, his, uh, his gospel account with all these names just so we would be so excited when we finally got to the part that says, And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You know, maybe that's it, but I think there's probably a little bit more going on here. I love how when you read this passage and you think about the names it contains, we see that Jesus' lineage much like our own, is a mixed bag of heroes and scoundrels, of sinners and saints. This is significant because it shows that God works through the messiness of our common human history to bring us to the Messiah. This Messiah is the hope of the world. And in the mess of our world and our lives, we can trust God to do something wonderful. If God can bring the Messiah from this human line, what can't he do in your life and in my life? He's going to do something wonderful. We can trust him with that. He is the great redeemer who redeems the tragedies and disappointments of our past to do something new and wonderful in our present and to prepare us for a glorious future with him in eternity. When we say the word Advent, in the Latin it simply means coming or arrival. So this is the story of Jesus' arrival. This is the story of the Messiah's coming. And we're going to understand what that means in our lives. Because as Jesus came 2,000 years ago in fulfillment to some of these prophecies that we heard from Isaiah... He revealed himself as Emmanuel, as, as Dave already shared with us. He is God with us. His advent showed us his desperation, his desire to be with us and to redeem us from the mess that we had gotten ourselves in. And because he is God with us, we can remind ourselves that he is always with us. Because he showed up then, we can remind ourselves that he is still in the business of showing up. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're going through, Jesus will show up for you. Just invite him in. 
And we don't always know what he's going to do when he gets here. But when he comes, he changes everything. When Christ arrives, everything changes. That's what we see at this turning point in our Bibles from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Jesus shows up and suddenly everything changes. When he shows up, all the brokenness from our past, all the missed opportunities in our present, all of our future failures meet the Messiah's unconditional love and grace and mercy. When he shows up, When the Messiah comes, he begins to redeem everything that is broken in our lives. When he comes, he loves us without measure, without condition. And when he comes, our lives are transformed. So I want us to quickly look at three lessons uh, from this genealogy uh, that we can draw out. Why does Matthew begin this way? As he points to the fulfillment of Christ coming, how he fulfilled everything in the Old Covenant, why begin this way? I think there are three things. The first one I want to draw our attention to is the overruling providence of God. The overruling providence of God. Again and again, as you read through this list of names, as you study the characters that this list contains, what we'll see is that the purposes of God often go contrary to the expectations of of man. Okay? The purposes of God often go contrary to the expectations that you and I have. When God comes, when he shows up, he doesn't always do what we expect him to do, but we can take great comfort in knowing that he is sovereign. He is in control. He is in charge. And we see this as we look through this list of names. Abraham was chosen by God uh, to, to, out of all the people on the earth to be the person from whom the Messiah's lineage would come. Isaac, okay, who was the child of God's provision, not Ishmael, who was the child of man's scheming, was chosen to continue that lineage. Jacob, not the firstborn Esau. You might remember in Genesis chapter 27 where Esau sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for a bowl of lentil stew. And Jacob is chosen by God to continue this lineage of the Messiah. And then you get to the, the 12 tribes of Israel and, and what we see is that Judah was chosen. Not Reuben, the firstborn. Not Joseph, maybe the most well-known. But Judah was chosen to continue this family lineage. He's included in the line of the Messiah King. We see in this text that Tamar had two twin sons, Perez and Zerah. Both listed in this genealogy, yet it is through Perez that the genealogy of Jesus continues. Once again, God chooses according to his sovereign purposes. And of course, David, King David, who we all know, uh, David was chosen and he was the least of his family. His father didn't even think enough to call him in to see if he would be chosen. But God sometimes chooses the things that are shunned in this world to work his purposes. Again and again and again, we could go story after story through these names and see that this genealogy highlights for us the divine prerogative of God in the outworking of human history. 
And I don't know about you, but that is very comforting for me when I look at the mess that our world seems to be in. When I look at, uh, you know, the, the rivalry for leadership in our nation, I stop and remind myself that God is on the throne. He is sovereign and he is, he is working out everything according to his plan because his overruling purposes are always at work in the outworking of human history. We can trust that God is in charge. Even when we can't see what he is doing, we can trust who he is. Even when it seems like he's not doing anything, we see through this genealogy all these generations in the Old Testament. When would the Messiah come? There must have been so much waiting, so much longing. It seemed like it would never happen, but God was at work from the very beginning, moving the puzzle pieces into place so that everything could come together in this perfect moment of fulfillment and Jesus would come. No matter how messy our lives gets, this overruling providence of God should bring you and I great comfort. The second thing I see as I look through this passage today is the overwhelming grace of God. The overwhelming grace of God. I'm so thankful that his love and his mercy doesn't depend on me. It depends on him. It's not about who I am. It's about who he is. And as we read this passage, one thing you'll notice is that there are five women mentioned in this text. And in a genealogy from this time period, what you have to understand is this was very unusual. Women's names were never included in the genealogy back in this day. In fact, you might have heard that the Pharisees used to actually pray a daily prayer to God where they thank God that they were not Gentiles, they were not slaves, and they were not women. Right? That shows you in the culture of the day the, the standing that women had in their culture. And I think Matthew by no accident says, in the kingdom of God, it's not the same as it is in the kingdom of this world. Women matter. And I think Matthew intentionally elevates the role of women in the lineage of Jesus to elevate their role in society to a new level and to a new place because Jesus understood that women matter. There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Christ. And what you see is you, you look at these names, uh, at least four of these women are Gentiles, meaning they're not Jewish. They're not from God's chosen people. And, and that's important because my, uh, Matthew is actually writing to a very Jewish audience. Where, where if you look at like Luke, for example, he's writing, writing to a Gentile audience, those who are not from Israel. He's writing to, to people outside of God's chosen people from the Old Testament. And even Matthew, writing to a very Jewish audience, uh, goes against some Jewish customs and norms to include these women's names, uh, many of them who were not even of Jewish descent. And, and more than not being a woman or being from Jewish descent, the other crazy thing is th at least three of these ladies were known for their sexual immorality. Okay, in Joshua chapter 2, we learn that Rahab, who's mentioned in this, is a prostitute. In Genesis chapter 38, Tamar, we learn, is associated with incest. And then, of course, Bathsheba, uh, from 2 Samuel 11, is, the, is known for adultery with King David. And then Ruth is mentioned. She's not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. And Matthew is just showing that God works through the messiness of our lives to accomplish his purpose, to accomplish his plans, no matter what. His overwhelming grace is at work. Even the Messiah King, King Jesus, would come through a, fa a flawed human line where many mistakes were made, 
where people drifted far from the purposes of God. But God redeems. God saves. God delivers. God restores. And God brings about something beautiful through his grace, through this jacked up family line. And so there's great comfort for us in knowing no matter how much we mess up in our lives, God's purposes are not thwarted. God will work through his grace to bring you and I to the place we need to be to accomplish his purposes in our lives today. And the final thing I want to draw our attention to, point three, is just this overarching promise of God. So we have the overruling sovereignty of God. We have the overwhelming grace of God. And now we see this overarching promise of God. If you go back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see that God had promised that one day the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. And that promise was expanded upon to Abraham when he was told by God that through his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That promise was again repeated to Isaac and to Jacob and to Judah. That promise was extended to King David when he was told that one of his descendants would sit enthroned as king forever. That promise was expanded once again through the prophet Isaiah to include uh, the story of the virgin birth. And again, expanded through the prophet Micah to show even where Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And I think the main reason why Matthew, writing to this Jewish audience, uh, uh, begins with this genealogy of Jesus is he is trying to set the story of Jesus firmly in the context of the Jewish people to whom he's writing. Where you see Luke's genealogy is slightly different. He traces Jesus' origin all the way back to Adam. And again, writing to a Gentile audience. But Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, wants to set the story of Jesus firmly in the covenant promises made to the people. People of Israel. And what he's trying to say, I think the whole point of this genealogy is to show the people of Israel that God has kept his word. There's a promise that had been stated and restated and restated and restated, affirmed and reaffirmed over and over again that God was working out the events of human history to bring about the Messiah. And he did it. He kept his word. And that should be incredibly comforting to you and I as together at this time of year we cling to the hope we have in Christ. We cling to the promises that we have in God and we remind ourselves that his future faithfulness can be trusted because we've seen his faithfulness in the past. He sent his long-awaited, long-promised Messiah who is the seed of woman, who is the seed of David, all right, who is the seed of Abraham, the true king has finally come. And I think when Jesus, uh, sorry, Matthew mentions uh, the word Messiah in verse 16 and verse 17, we know, again, he doesn't try to explain it, but because they knew who the Messiah would be, they knew that the Messiah was to come. And the main point of this text is to point out that Jesus is the culmination of God's work of redemption. And that everything that came before him in all of the Old Testament, everything that came before him reaches its climax and its fulfillment in the person and the perfection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is good news. And that is what we celebrate at Advent as we think about this hope that we have in Christ. You see, Jesus came down. Jesus showed up. The Messiah was here. And today I want to remind you once again 
that Jesus, our Messiah, is still in the business of showing up today. And I believe that he wants to show up in your life this morning. No matter what's going on, no matter what circumstances you're facing, no matter what burdens you're carrying, let him show up for you. I invite you even right now in this moment to to close your eyes and just invite him to come. Lord Jesus, come. Come into this moment. Here's my burden that I'm carrying, Lord. Here's, Here's the fear that I'm wrestling with, Lord. Here's the concern that I'm carrying. Father, we bring these things to you this morning because we know, Lord, that you are in the business of showing up. Lord, we thank you for your overruling providence in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your overwhelming grace in our life. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who keeps promises. One of the ways you'll know that Jesus has shown up in your life is when he comes. No matter what you were feeling because of what you were facing, you will always feel hope. Because when Jesus comes, he infuses his hope into our hearts. You don't have to wait until you're all cleaned up. You don't have to wait until all your questions are answered. You don't have to wait until all your doubts are resolved to invite him to come. I love what Mike Iaconelli said. He said, Christianity is not about being fixed. It's about Jesus being present in the midst of our unfixedness. And that's what Advent reminds us, that Jesus came in the midst of our mess. And he still comes today in the midst of our mess. And when he comes, he brings hope and transformation. So may the Lord bless you. May he come right now where you are. And as we continue to worship together, may he fill your hearts with hope.